Welcome to The Athlete and the NARP. I'm Jenna Daly, and I'm the athlete. And I'm Claire Fenton, and I'm the NARP. And if you don't know what a NARP is, then you're one too. Welcome to the third episode of The Athlete and the NARP. This week, we'll be discussing nepotism in sports. And this is something we're pretty excited to talk about. And since Jenna was the one who actually came up with the topic for this podcast, I'd like her to explain a little bit about why she thought it would be fun and important to talk about. I originally came up with this topic because I've been recently getting into F1 a lot. We've, we've talked a lot about F1 on the podcast already, but I was just really blown away by the amount of money that's poured into this sport and into spectating the sport and just like the glitz and glamour surrounding it. So I really wanted to dig into the sport and research how much money actually goes into getting to F1 and that global stage. And also, I realize that a lot of the racers have family connections or like past family members have previously raced. And so I was really curious to see if that had any effect on how people got to the sport and how they do in it. To kind of start off, I started looking at F1 through the lens of I guess two like the two different aspects. One, the money aspect of it, and then two, the family aspect of it. I actually found a lot that proved and disproved what I thought about F1. So I, I'm really excited to talk about it because it was and wasn't what I was expecting. So the way F1 works is that it's extremely competitive to get onto that stage. There's only 10 teams with 20 drivers. And so you might have previous connections or sponsorships that allow you to get to that level and be an attractive driver for teams. However, once you get there, if you're not performing, regardless of what you bring to the team and to the sport, they don't want you on the team. If you're not scoring points, if you're not improving as a driver, they are very vocal about it. They being the team and also the fans. The fans are brutal when it comes to that. One of my examples of when I was thinking about this original topic was Lance Stroll. His dad is a part owner of Aston Martin, which is where he races. I was like, well, that's pretty crazy if your dad is kind of bankrolling your professional career. And this was the same thing when he was on Force India a few years back. His dad had owned that as well. So, And he's also portrayed as not a great racer. Portrayed in Drive to Survive or by the media or? Kind of both. That's, yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at in Drive to Survive mostly. He kind of <laughs> seems like a little bit goofy, a little bit unserious compared to a lot of the others. They definitely portray him as like the rich kid. And he's he's come out and talked about that. And there was this one interview that I had found where he acknowledges, yes, like it, it definitely helps to have someone who can support you. However, he's not the only one that has like a billionaire like backing him. It just happens to be his dad. And he said he can acknowledge that, but he also wants to give himself credit as a racer, which is actually true. I, I was trying to see how he's doing this season, and I think he's struggling a little bit 
to compete compared to his teammate Alonso. But he has 47 points. He's ninth in the F1 driver standings at the moment out of 20. So, I mean, he's in the top half. He's he's honestly not bad in the way that people seem to like to talk about him. However, I would say had he not had this backing growing up, there's a good chance that he'd be overlooked as a driver and someone else would be having that spot. Sure. I mean, I think that's definitely good, I guess, that he's kind of able to recognize the advantages he has having a literal billionaire as a father who can support him like that. Even when he is performing, like you just mentioned, when you have that amount of money and you have that luxury and that freedom to go into a sport like that that already requires so much money. Like I was talking to Jenna the other day, like in the US, I don't even know, it's totally off my radar, like where you would even go to get into F1. But you you know, you need a car baseline, which is not something that's cheap and all the gear and equipment and finding a racetrack and all the things that go into that, it is a lot of money. I, I know I've heard from Lando Norris, another F1 driver whose father is also, I don't know if he's a billionaire, I'm not positive, but is very, very rich. Lando has also talked in interviews about how he acknowledged the privilege that he had growing up to have that financial support and the ability to pay his way through some of the training and just dedicate. Honestly, he really didn't even go to school much when he was in his early teenage years because he was so focused on driving. And that was something that he was definitely able to do because of his background and where he grew up. But he's acknowledged that and he said, you know, he's very grateful for that. And he doesn't shy away from the fact that that was his life. But at the same time, he said he made a deal with his dad that he did not want his dad paying his way through his F1 career, kind of doing what Stroll's dad is doing, not to take too much away from Stroll, but Norris has specifically said, I didn't want my dad paying for me to be on an F1 team. I wanted to prove myself as a driver, which Norris is better than Stroll and has definitely proved his worth as an F1 driver driving for McLaren. I can empathize with their position of, I want to be recognized for my talent X, Y, Z, but you just kind of have to take that with somewhat of a grain of salt, given that, like Jenna said, it's such an expensive sport, even to go see let alone to actually participate in. And then the payout is also really good. And it's hard to kind of imagine that he would be in that position if he didn't come from the money he came from him or Stroll or any of the others on the grid that are from a similar background. To put it in perspective, if you're listening to this, you might be wondering how expensive it actually is to get to F1. Apparently... From when you start karting, which is around age seven, to making it to the F1 stage, it takes about $10 million. What? Yes. So, oh, my God. Yep. Which is absurd when you put it like that. And to support a karting career, which is ages seven to 16, it's about $700,000 for just that part. Wow. Yes, so that's the equipment and the like, the education part of it and the training and the personal diets and all, all of that. That might sound a lot, but you might not know how that compares to professional sports in the U.S. To make it to the NFL, the average cost is 
$50,000. So that's a, that's a stark difference. Very and, stark difference. And it's very similar for tennis. Tennis is right around football. And that's generally considered a little bit more of a wealthier family, upper-class mm-hmm. sport. Mm-hmm. So you really see there's a huge disparity here. Lewis Hamilton has been really outspoken about this because he does not come from a family with money. He actually, his dad had to work two jobs in order to fund his sport growing up. He's really said, yes, he was able to overcome it, but he's really skeptical that there'll be another person who is able to do that, just given that costs of everything are rising and it was extremely difficult growing up. It is a huge payout, but to get there, it requires a lot of family sacrifice. Another example, which I found pretty crazy, is that Esteban Ocon's family actually sold their house and lived in a caravan to make to make it work for him, to, to get him up to where he needed to be. I mean, it worked out for him because he's on F1, but it scares me that there would be I mean, there have to be people who have done exactly the same thing or made very similar major sacrifices and it didn't work out for them. And that's kind of scary. Yeah, definitely. And with him, he actually, I believe he had a spot in F1 and then Lance Stroll at at Force India. He was driving for Force India and then Lance Stroll actually took his spot. Akon went to become a reserve driver for I believe it was Mercedes in 2019 so he actually was in a spot where he got it and then he almost lost it and then now he's back and he seems to be in a like solidified position but that's probably pretty terrifying your family did so much for you all you want to do is probably pay them back for that and then your career's in jeopardy again so I can't imagine that the people coming from families with larger incomes and the ability to support their kids I like I just don't think that those people coming from those families would be as terrified or as worried about certain things during the seasons and it's kind of ironic that he almost lost or he did lose his spot to Lance Stroll yes who we just talked about is the son of a billionaire so that's just kind of ironic that that was how it worked out for him. And I mean, unfortunate too, I suppose. But nepotism for the players, quote unquote, drivers aren't really players, but the athletes themselves, that's one side of it. But there's also nepotism issues at the other levels of sport. Recently, there's been a couple reports from newspaper outlets about the NFL having a massive nepotism problem at the coaching level and that is what people from within the NFL have called it they've called it a nepotism problem just because there are so many coaches probably the same goes for various administrators but at the coaching level it's kind of crazy how many coaches have direct family connections to former coaches other players in the NFL USA Today had a report that showed that In 2022, 12 out of 34 of the head coaches were related to current or former head coaches in the NFL. And 13% of the coaches that were on the field during the games had a father, son, or brother as a current or former NFL coach. And so those types of numbers make a big difference for the makeup of 
the NFL and the types of people that are at the coaching level versus the playing level. I mean, 80% of coaches in the NFL are white. That's It's been that way for a long time. It's not a surprise. I'm from Pittsburgh. Our team is the Steelers. Mike Tomlin is our head coach. He's one of the only black head coaches in the NFL. He's one of the longest standing black coaches in the NFL. And the Steelers themselves, former Steelers owner, tried to put forth the Rooney rule not super long ago where when teams are searching for a coaching position, they have to interview at least one black candidate. And that rule had to be put in place because it was so rampant, the lack of minorities at the coaching level in the NFL. So there are these steps that are trying to be taking to get taken to get rid of or to increase the diversity at the coaching level in the NFL. But this nepotism problem doesn't help because I think for obvious reasons, most of the coaches in the league are already white. If you're hiring out your son, your brother, someone you know, I mean, most of the time they're going to be of the same race as you. And that's what's that's honestly just what's played out here. And that's why the NFL is calling it this nepotism issue. And it's especially touchy slash difficult to see, given that how many players in the league are minorities, that disparity of pretty much a mostly white coaching staff versus a lot of black players is definitely something the NFL is trying to remedy because there's no reason why there shouldn't be more minority coaches at the coaching level. But a lot of it goes back to this issue of nepotism and giving people you know a chance over someone who might be equally as deserving. And to go back to your point of kind of hi- like you hire who you know and things, it's it's very similar to kind of like Lance Stroll's comment where he's like, give me some credit, like mm-hmm. I'm a good driver. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's true, but... Mm-hmm. Again, you have a billionaire father backing you. That like that's gonna help. So when you talk about how these sons and or fathers and just like these relations, you're going to network with who you know. And if who you know are currently working in the NFL and are currently head coaches, I think that significantly helps your chances of getting there, regardless of whether you're qualified or not. Of course that's a factor. When when you don't know anyone versus when you know seven head coaches that are maybe coming to your house for mm-hmm. dinner or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's going to play a role in who gets a coaching job. Definitely. And if you romanticize athletics, if you romanticize sports, people like to think that sports are the great equalizer, right? Where if you work hard enough and you train hard enough and you do everything right, you eat the right food, you recover correctly, you can be at the professional level, you can be the best in the world. You can have that spot that you want. I I mean, we know that's not true, especially I think being in college right now, people, I mean, honestly, a ton of advice I've heard from alumni and people on staff here who are do career advice and things like that. They always tell me, I'm like, what's, what's one piece of advice you have for me? They're like network. Like talk yeah, to it's people. all about who you know. Exactly. My mom says that all the time. So shout mm-hmm. out to her. I know she's going <laughs> to be thrilled when she hears that, but it's it's all about that like I know plenty of people professionally they won't even apply somewhere that they don't know anyone there's there's no point Mm. so yeah it's like you can have natural talent and then you can work hard and really get yourself there but I have a hard time believing that the majority of people are like that no and it's right you do need both right you can't just walk into the NBA and be like hey I'm here and 
my dad's LeBron James, so <laughs> yeah. let's go. But I mean, to some extent, that's some of the criticism that I think people have been throwing at someone like Bronny James, for example, who's a f- currently a freshman at University of Southern California on the basketball team. I mean, he's LeBron James's son. So, of course, he's been hyped since as soon as he could hold a basketball, basically. Not faulting him for that. There's nothing you can do about who his dad is. But within, um, I mean, American leagues like the NBA, NFL, MLB, there are quite a few players whose fathers were extremely famous athletes who might not be in the position that they're in right now if it weren't for who their fathers were and probably wouldn't be definitely not getting as much hype as a bunch of other deserving kids. I mean, I brought up Ronnie James, but there are others too. And just to kind of give you an idea of how much benefit this can bring to people who don't really, to be quite frank, don't need it. The top 100 athletes in the, at the collegiate level making the most money from NIL right now the first one is Bronny James who let me remind you has not played a single collegiate basketball game yet he's making apparently reportedly 6.1 million dollars worth in NIL money and he has c- contracts from Nike and Beats already for example I'm partly because his dad also does but those are two of the biggest companies in the world and he's what 18 19 years old number two is Shadur Sanders, who is Deion Sanders' son at Boulder, he's making apparently $5.1 million. Again, doesn't need that money. And then number four is Arch Manning, who is the nephew of Peyton Manning, Eli Manning. He's apparently making $2.9 million, and he does, he's a quarterback at Texas, but he doesn't even play. So he's making $3 million off of NIL money. I mean, quite literally off of his last name because he doesn't play at Texas. He doesn't have anything to show for it nothing against really NIL. It's just you see these so obvious instances of brands investing and throwing money at the sons of famous athletes who may be great players in their own right one day. Who knows? But I feel like disheartening is the right word because I'm not trying to take anything too much away from these athletes. But it's kind of frustrating to see that LeBron James's son is making $6.1 million. It's like, what does... Why? Well, it's crazy because he hasn't even played yet. Yeah. And the same in the same with Arch Manning, like if he's riding bench and he's he has all this money. So you can't in those cases you can't use the argument, oh well, I've worked really hard, right, I deserve right. this. Any other person who hasn't played a game would not have anywhere close to six point one million dollars of sponsorships. So you, you can't use that argument there. And so people can go back and forth and debate like, oh, well, is this credit and recognition deserved? And like, are they really worth the hype? Blah, blah, blah. But in this case, I don't I don't think there can be an argument. I I don't see how it would be logical considering there are no results to prove why they deserve this type of recognition. And I mean, if you're Bronnie James, your whole life has been. Honestly, I, I don't know. I'm not going to speak for what conversations he's had with his dad and his mom about what he wants to do with his life. I'm sure he loves playing basketball, but that's a luxury that his whole life has really been directed toward playing in the NBA. That's something his dad didn't have to give credit to LeBron. Like I don't always like LeBron as kind of just the way he goes about things, but give a lot of credit to him. I really respect him for his work ethic and who he is as a person because he came from nothing and he made his way into the NBA and has become one of the biggest stars in the world. So I give him all the credit in the world for that. 
So if he wants to help his son live out that same dream, you know, good for them. They, he deserves to see that happen. But Bronny James, you know, he's had everything really laid out on a silver platter for him to make it to the NBA if that's what he wants to do and make a lot of money. If, Of course, that's what he wants to do. Everybody wants that. You know, maybe he will be. I honestly haven't really seen him play because, again, he hasn't really played at the collegiate level. So maybe he is very talented and will be a great NBA player one day, but maybe he won't. Actually, I just remembered something. A few years ago, Bronny James came to Connecticut for a game. I'm I'm just remembering this now. And I remember, because my family was talking about it, because they're into basketball and things like my extended family, and everyone wanted tickets for this game because he was playing and everyone wanted to see him. But it wasn't because he was like this huge skilled basketball player. It was because he was LeBron James's son. And I'm just remembering that now. And I think that's relevant to talk about because it's not like everyone was like, oh my God, check out this amazing high school basketball player. It's like, no, check out this basketball player who has a famous dad. And I can sympathize with Bronny, I don't know how he feels about this. I can sympathize that's probably tough at times. Right. I'm sure there's totally like levels of pressure associated with that. So there is that flip side of nepotism maybe where there's just a lot of baggage that can come with it. It, it brings a lot of benefits a lot of the time, but sometimes it doesn't always serve you in the way that you want it to. And I think a good example of that is Trinity Rodman, who is, I say the name Rodman, you probably know, is Dennis Rodman's daughter. Dennis Rodman played, for those of you who don't know, played with the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan. That was the biggest part of his career. But he was a really, really fantastic NBA player, also known for his off-court antics. He's kind of a wacky guy, very out there, says what's on his mind, big partier. He's a very complicated guy. But he has two kids. He has Trinity Rodman, who plays for the U.S. Women's National Team, and DJ Rodman, who is currently a collegiate basketball player. But Trinity is obviously a bit more prolific because she plays at the international level and has, I would say, is a fairly regular starter for the women's national team, at least at the World Cup and kind of those qualifying games. She definitely starts a good bit of games, even though she's fairly new to the team. She's in her early 20s. She left college early to play at the professional level. And she was actually, at the time when she signed for the NWSL, she was the youngest ever player to do so. She has been fairly outspoken about how she really wants to make her own name for herself and how she and her dad didn't really have a relationship at all when she was younger. I mean, he kind of basically deserted her and her brother and they were at times her, her brother and her mom who was raising them as a single mom living out of cars and motels when she was little. So she has this name on her back, Rodman. And to be honest, that's the reason why I know who she is. And that's the reason why I followed her at first. I was like, oh, this is Dennis Rodman's daughter. Let me check her out. And now that I know a little bit more about her and I've seen her play, I'm like, okay, I like her for who she is. And I just like her. I like Trinity. And she's even said that that's what she wants to do. It's like she wants to be known as Trinity Rodman, full stop, not Trinity Rodman, Dennis Rodman's daughter. And I think she's on the way to making that happen for herself. But it just goes to show that, you know, maybe that's one instance where people would say, oh, She's Dennis Rodman's daughter. She must have had it all. Of course, she's a professional soccer player. She had that luxury. But to hear her and her mom speak about it, that's not at all what the case was for her. And in fact, her last name has sometimes been something that she's 
had to escape really and to try to reclaim for her own as opposed to something that is kind of a golden ticket through any obstacles on the way to her professional career. Something that we wanted to point out with all of these examples is that every single time we're talking about a parent and then their kid, all the parents are male. All of them are their fathers. And we were thinking about it and we were kind of trying to come up with like, why isn't this as a parent or even common with female athletes? And so I don't know, Claire, you had some hypotheses if you want to talk about them. I did. Hypotheses is a good word. Because we're both women, whenever we do this type of research, we're, at least in my head, I'm always trying to think of ways I can spotlight female athletes and women's sports in particular. So for this episode, not going to lie, that was kind of tough because I was sitting here and trying to think of famous female athletes that I know that have famous parents, and I was really drawing a blank. And... I was like, why is that? Like, why don't I know? Maybe it's a good thing. I don't, I'm not saying that it's necessarily a bad thing, but I was just like, why can't I think of any? And I think there are a few reasons for this. I think the biggest one being, I mean, as we've talked about before, women's professional sports are not as financially viable as male professional sports are. Even if someone like Trinity Rodman, for example, plays at the NWSL, plays on the U.S. women's national team, is one of the best soccer players in the world. The amount of money she's going to make off of that career is going to be nothing compared to a man in her exact same position. So when it comes time for her to retire, she's just not going to have as much financial capital. And that financial capital is often what allows people like Bronny James or Lance Stroll or Lando Norris to make their professional careers. Because women just tend to make less money when they go into a professional sporting career, there's not as much of an opportunity for them to then pay it forward to their kids and give them that same financial opportunity. They can still give them the guidance and the advice and all the wisdom that comes with having gone through that process, but they just don't have the, honestly, money is one of the most important things. And if they don't have as much of that, then it's kind of a moot point. I also think that it's a lot more difficult for female athletes to be a strong, competitive, professional athlete and also raise a family It is much, much more difficult to do that and be a mother compared to being a father just with the different types of burdens that come with that and the expectations that come with that. So every time that you see a female athlete come back after having a kid, it it is, wow, they're so amazing because it is really difficult when you have a society telling you like, oh, well, maybe you should retire to focus on your kids and like your family and stuff. And I think we're slowly pivoting away from that just as women's sports become more serious, like we talked about and taken more serious and there's more opportunities opening up, but there's, I think there's just less opportunity for female athletes to continue working at the professional level while also balancing a family compared to male athletes. There have been people like recently, Serena Williams, Allison Felix, Alex Morgan, who have shown that you can have kids in the prime of your athletic career and come back and still compete at the highest level, even when people are telling you you can't, even when, like with Allison Felix, you lose your contract with Nike over it, pretty much. You give up all that because that's important to you. And it is physically demanding. Obviously, pregnancy is 
you know, very physically demanding. So it is a very difficult thing to give birth to a kid and then come back and still be like, yeah, I'm going to be one of the best in the world at the sport that I play, but they've all shown that they can do it. But to your point, right, there's these expectations of how do I navigate having a family while still doing the thing I love to do that men just don't have to worry about. Again, like you said, we've been seeing a lot more support for these types of issues within recent years, but I think just because it's been so recently, that's also why the nepotism effect isn't as strong for women because even 50 years ago, a lot of the, honestly, probably even 20 years ago, a lot of the professional leagues that we see now for female athletes just didn't exist. Like the WNBA was not around 50 years ago. Any softball professional league was not around 50 years ago. NWSL, not around 50 years ago. People outside of the U.S., you know, there might have been, I'm not sure about the history of European soccer leagues, but I'm sure there there was something available outside of the U.S. But within the U.S., NWSL was definitely not around that long ago. So there's these leagues where women are finally getting the chance to play professionally and earn some money. But because those weren't around 50 years ago, if women wanted to play sports, maybe they only played in college or maybe there was some structure for something like tennis that isn't really super league-based where, as we talked about last episode, we're finally getting this stronger infrastructure underway for paying female athletes livable wages, honestly, because in the past they have not been paid livable wages, giving them that opportunity to support themselves financially. And we're seeing those numbers increase every year. And like Jenna said with the marketing in last episode, women are able to gain big contracts from big companies and have that support and show that companies back them. Eventually, I think maybe within the next 20 years or so, we're going to maybe see the effects of that. And maybe one of Serena Williams' kids will be an incredible tennis player or one of Alex Morgan's daughters will be on the women's national team or something like that. I think that's definitely something that I would like to see happen maybe within the next few years by the time we're a little bit older. But I think that's part of why it's just not happening now because there's really no... I shouldn't say there's none, but there's not as many female professional athletes out there who are old enough to have children around our age who would just be starting entering the professional level. It's a really interesting point. We're probably going to see a more delayed nepotism effect. I kind of said, you know, oh, I think that wouldn't be a bad thing. I mean, I don't think nepotism is good necessarily, but I just think that more than anything, it would be indicative of female athletes now have viable careers i think that that would be i I think it would show more of like an equality standpoint of wow they actually have the power and impact to have similar effects like male athletes do because i think even if it's not somebody as prolific as Bronny james you hear all the time about mlb i think is notorious for having (laughs) father-son duos yeah and yeah, they are. they're just, it's been on the rise. It's its not necessarily like a nepotism issue like we would say it was with the NFL, but it's just notorious for there being a lot of parents who have kids. I mean, one of the top prospects right now is Matt Holliday's son, mm. who was also a fantastic player for the Cardinals. So there's just so much evidence, obviously, that male athletes, that nepotism is rampant within that. And there's not really a solution to that because it's no, not like of course not. you can tell them. Not Don't play. play. Exactly. If that's <laughs> if what they want to do. Good. Right. Yeah. It's an awesome career. If I could make $6.1 million right now without having played a college game. I would be doing give it. Give it to me. 
give it to me. Exactly. For sure. I don't blame Bronny at all for taking deals with Nike Beats. What do you want him to do? But, you know, it's just. Yeah, like you can't be like, say no, because it's not fair. Right. You can't fault the individuals because, I mean, to be fair, and we had talked about with F1 that maybe it's like a a business father kind of bankrolling an athlete. But a lot of the times with MLB, NFL, NBA, I mean, I feel like sports in America, we love these like rags to riches stories, but that is the reality for a lot of these athletes. So I don't want to fault then their sons or daughters then, you know, living out their dreams as well, because a lot of the times their parents worked really, really hard to get the professional career that they had and be able to provide for their family like that. It just, it is what it is. It's a thing. For this week's Fun Friday, we are doing superlatives. Woohoo! <laughs> so we have five different categories, and we'll each name who we think fits that best. And we don't know what the other person has said, so I'm excited. We picked out the superlatives together, and we would think of one, and we would each be like, ooh, I know who you're going to say. Or, ooh, <laughs> yeah. I think I know who I'm going to say. So we were, we're really excited for this one. We were having a good time. So our first superlative is cutest couple. And we said that both of the people in the couple have to be professional athletes. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start? Sure. I <laughs> I don't think we're going to have the same one, but this was honest. I don't know. This was the first one that popped into my head was Julie and Zach Ertz. Okay, no. Okay, yeah, that good. was not. I wasn't was not sure. Mine. I was like, I just didn't want us to have the exact same celebrity couple because that would be annoying. But... Julie and Zach Ertz, and this is especially relevant because Julie Ertz, she is one of the best players that the U.S. women's national team has ever seen, and she actually just played her last game, I think, yesterday for the women's national team. She just retired after this World Cup, so very emotional, and her husband plays in the NFL. Every time I see an interview from him, he's always super supportive of her, and she's one of those athletes that we talked about. She has maybe a couple kids or at least one, so she's had one of those instances where she's had to leave have a kid and come back to the sport and just the support and love he always has for her. I, I just think they're adorable. And so they were honestly the first one that popped into my head just because I think that they're always there supporting one another. And I really appreciate him, especially during this world cup, he would get asked about in interviews and always shouting her out and standing up for her. Mine. I came up with this one in seconds. It was Dansby Swanson and Mallory Swanson or more known as Mal Pugh. Interesting. Why why that why did that one pop into your head? I think they're just the most prominent sports couple that I've seen. I don't know if that's just like because I follow baseball more. They recently got married oh. and they're just really cute. And Mel Pugh had actually she tore her ACL fairly recently and I remember seeing Swanson's post to about that and about supporting her and I just remember it being really really sweet and really kind and I was just like that's that's adorable I'm glad that we each had one immediately pop into our heads and they were completely different different, yes because this was the one I was like I was really interested to see but next one we have is best dressed and this one I don't want to say who I almost said just in case you said him so I'm not gonna but the one, the second one that popped into my head and I was like, oh, this is better than my first thought was Russell Westbrook. I cannot even describe to you how much I love Russell Westbrook's pregame 
hallway fit pics. Like I live for them. There are so many good ones. And if you've never really seen kind of his style, he just always comes out with something super bold, super unusual, bunch of patterns, bunch of glasses, accessories. Like he, and he's talked about, he loves fashion. He just, he, he lives for that kind of stuff. And his Met Gala look a few years ago, like lives in my head rent-free all the time. He had like a kilt and like a top suit and a top hat and I, I'm obsessed. I, I just love him. I love his confidence. I love that he doesn't care what people think about what he wears. And I love that he has such a vision for himself. And he goes out there and he just delivers. I just think he's awesome. That was some intense analysis. I, I'm telling you, like, I think about it all the time. I, I, <laughs> I love, I'm going to be so sad when he retires and I no longer get to see his pregame outfits because they bring me joy every time I see a new one. I did initially think of the same person that you had thought of, but I came up with another answer. So Which, we'll, by the we'll, way, well, it was Lewis Hamilton yes. was the one we were both thinking of, but... Just showstoppers all the time. Sometimes sometimes they're misses, to be quite honest. <laughs> but, but you need to bold, be bold. Yeah. And he, he just rocks them with confidence, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate. For sure. So it always makes me laugh, too, the pictures of hamilton and george russell showing up (laughs) like they never look like they're going to the same event and it it kills me every time like george just kind of looks like he's like this 19 year old going to a frat party sometimes and then hamilton's showing up looks like he just walked off the runway onto the f1 track but the person i ended up picking is david poshtanak from the boston bruins and yeah you'll have to look him up yeah i was gonna say i I know i know you don't really know but he, very similar to Russell Westbrook's description, just very bold, very out there. Like, he has blazers with, like, floral, like, really, like, bright colors and bright prints. But he always looks good. Like, they're almost always a hit. I've never seen a miss from him. So, I'm always impressed by him. He's always regularly, the NHL will post things about, like, the best dressed and whatever. He's almost there every single week. They love his outfits. I love his (laughs) outfits. And I'm just always impressed. Like, he always just pulls them together so well. In my mind, the worst thing a guy can wear is, like, a black suit. When you're doing something like a pregame fit or a Met Gala. Like, anytime I see somebody pull up to the Met Gala in a black suit, I'm like, leave. You don't deserve to be here. Go big or go home. And in that case, go home. Go home. (laughs) So I appreciate you said like the floral blazers and stuff. Like I really appreciate when an athlete wears, if they do a suit that it has like some pizzazz. I have one in mind. I'll have to show you after this. And then also Lewis Hamilton. I think he deserves just to mention because we literally both thought of him. Yes. It's so well put together. It's so like high fashion too though. Because I feel like someone like Russell Westbrook is more like it can be casual. He'll have like sweatshirts on or ripped jeans. Like it'll be more street style, but he still looks really good. Like Lewis Hamilton is always like, you look expensive. Yes. Yes, he does. And a lot of times it is. It is for sure. (laughs) But yeah, he like, he'll wear gloves or he'll pair like different glasses and earrings and style his hair differently. And it all ties in with his outfit and it's always so impressive. All right. The next one we have here is best captain slash team leader. And I had to think about this one for a second, but then when I got it, I'm like, oh, this was so obvious. Lionel Messi. Every time I've ever heard anybody talk about him, they have nothing but positive things to say. I am obsessed with his career in Miami. I am so happy for him that he gets to go shop at Publix and live his best life with his kids 
after the incredible career that he's had and just have fun playing soccer. And everybody loves him. He is living the dream to top it off with a World Cup win this year. The GOAT. End of story. I'm a little biased in my selection, but we're sticking with the Boston Bruins here. And I'm going with the just-retired Patrice Bergeron. I had brought him up last week in our Fun Friday, but this time it was because I've heard a lot about how he is as a captain and everyone described him as a class act, not even just Bruins and Bruins fans. It just kind of seemed like everyone in the league really respects him and ad- admires him as a player, but also as a, a leader. One thing I know that he he did was he would have like check-ins with every single player and just kind of have basically little coffee chats with them every once in a while to make sure that they were doing good and like everything was okay and that they had the support that they needed. And I think that really shows that he cared about the game, but he also cared about his teammates too, which was really important. Next one we have is drama queen slash king. Mine's a king. And mine is too. Okay. Also, mine's already been mentioned. So Lewis Hamilton. Really? This is my trauma king. Okay. Yeah. A lot of the players on the F1 grid are incredibly sassy. But sassy is not the same thing as like a drama king queen. That's true. I've seen a lot about Hamilton just being a little bit petty slash complainy, whiny. That's kind of the best way I can put it. Love him. Love his fits. He is a bit of a princess. And I think from the outfits to kind of his whole aura, he does have an ego, and which he deserves. He's a fantastic driver. In interviews, he kind of will throw shots at other drivers and complain about things. I mean, recently, Jen and I were talking about how he complained about Red Bull because Max Verstappen is just dominating the field. And he was basically like, that's not fair. He's too good. Not he didn't say that, but in so many words, he's too good. It's like, okay, calm down. So it was it coming, was coming from the seven time world champion driver. Exactly. So I'm honestly I, I so I thought of him. I was trying to pick an NBA player because just side note, every time I watch the NBA, I, I'm just like, shut up. Like people complain <laughs> all the time. They get fouled. They act like they were 25 feet away from the person as a league overall. The NBA is my drama king league. But I honestly couldn't narrow it down to one player because I was just like, there's too many. It happens every five seconds and it annoys me. So Lewis Hamilton is who I went with. I did a slight throwback and did John McEnroe. Oh my God, Jenna, that's so good. <laughs> that's and so good. My The reason I actually thought of him is going to make you laugh because it actually wasn't a sports idea. So I don't know if you've ever watched Never Have I Ever on Netflix. No, where's this going? So he does like the inner monologue thoughts of the main character, Davy. He does? Oh, I didn't yes, know that. Because Davy is a very unhinged, angry person and is just like always freaking out. So it's really funny because he like he voices all of that. So he was he's very outspoken in that. And so then uh, that prompted me, of course, to be like, well, who is this? Because I hadn't heard of him. And then I found all of the things that happened during his tennis career and he was a very outspoken tennis player never had a problem letting the officials know when he disagreed with a call there's a couple famous ones out there that are pretty entertaining to watch so I thought he has to be my selected drama king 
that's fantastic. And I know you said your mom earlier would be happier with me giving like the networking shout out. My mom is going to be thrilled that John McEnroe gave a <laughs> shout out. She's a big tennis fan. So she's going to love that. Well, I'm happy to do that for her. <laughs> um, and our last one is going to be most likely to have their own reality TV show. And so we kind of in interpreted this just someone we'd like to watch, someone who we think will be good, someone who we think could actually have one. That's kind of the three pieces, if you will, that went into our scoring. And so mine's, I, I would say mine's half cheating because he's already been on TV shows before and he kind of does, he has a very personality focused social media presence, but Marshawn Lynch. Okay. I would watch hours of Marshawn Lynch doing anything. And I think he would be a great, I think he has the personality for a reality TV show just because he's so funny, so outgoing, so talkative. I want to know what he gets up to on a daily basis. And I just saw this clip a couple of weeks ago of him hanging out with Amish people. <laughs> yeah, of him like oh. riding in a wagon with Amish people and like going through their culture and stuff. And I was like, I could watch hours of this, days of this. I love Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> That's so So funny. if he had a regular show, you better bet on watching every episode because he's just truly a character i'm again i'm biased with this one but i have a good explanation i would like to see christian wilkins from the miami dolphins the reason being so the reason i know all this is because he went to my high school so i've actually seen a lot more of like the kind of behind the scenes aspects of him i think not only is he a good player he's a hilarious he's a hilarious player too anytime he's mic'd up he goes viral on all social medias. I've seen so many clips of him and they're hilarious. So I think I'd love to see that. Plus, I really want to see him interact with Mike McDaniel. I just, I, I think that <laughs> that relationship would be quite entertaining to watch. The flip side of that is I do know that he's worked really hard and that he's a really, really nice down to earth guy so I'd love to see kind of his, his lifestyle. So I remember, I can't remember if it was Clemson or if it was the Dolphins. His teammates actually made fun of him because they all come to practice in these really nice cars and whatever. And he has like this old beat up car. I forget what it is, but they all made fun of him because he didn't spend a single cent of his contract right away or anything on like fancy things. And he was just like, eh, I don't, I don't need it. There's no point. He came to my high school and visited probably twice a year every time I was there I think America would fall in love with him because <laughs> I think he's such a nice guy but also really funny and works really hard thank you for listening to the third episode of the athlete and the narp we hope you enjoyed our discussion about nepotism in sports and how it creates barriers of entry for some people as well as our fun Friday superlatives make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the athlete and the narp you can contact us by email at theathleteandthenarp at gmail.com with content suggestions, clarifications, or questions. Until next time, I'm Claire Fenton. And I'm Jenna Daly. And this has been The, the Athlete, Athlete and the, the NARP. NARP.